0: And welcome to the Hall of Fame podcast series featuring the best video games of all time. We're going through the history of games, selecting the elite games from all generations, and inducting them into our Hall of Fame. I'm your host, Matt Levy, and we are joined by my co-host, the talent, Mike Staub.
1: Wow, thats uh, I gotta live up to that now. Great. <laughs> Great. This is I'm not good with titles cuz then I feel like I have to lean into it a little more.
0: <laughs> well, Mike, how are you doing today? How are we doing Uh We're here in the, you know, first second week of January.
1: You know, uh, I'm alive. Things are okay. I guess uh there's there's been some I've been I've been in a pseudo lockdown the last few weeks cuz my wife had COVID, but uh I didn't get it. And uh, we've been isolated. So I've been doing a lot of video gaming when I'm not working remote. So it's been, it's been a very, it's been much of a, uh, it's a comfort to be perfectly honest with you when you can't see anyone or talk to people uh, that we have things like this on the internet where we can, we could chat via the internet or Discord or something. Or I can play a video game uh, and escape my basement for uh, a few hours. And uh, it's been, it's been good. Once again, video games save the day like they kind of save 2020 for all of us. And I am ple- I, it's a pleasure to be able to have them. And we're talking about games today that have done this for me, I think, my whole life. Uh, my whole life as a gamer. I think, I think the game we're talking about today, I was a video gamer before I played this game and its remake. But I feel like this game solidified my interest and in, like, this is what I want to do this is a part of my quote unquote identity and a a cultural identity at least. And I think this game is still one of my top favorites of all time and I think it's very, very, very important. So I'm very happy to talk about it.
0: Well, because we're gonna have so much to say today, I say we jump right in and yes, this game, Mike, which we're talking about 1997's Final Fantasy VII, which was developed by Square, they were not Square Enix at that point, developed by oh. Square. And man, Mike, just simply, quickly, what
1: does this game mean to you? Uh, this game is kind of everything. It's, it's, it's odd because I think you and I are of a, of a similar age. So this game hit us at the same time. This game is was a massive change in how the genre felt and how the genre was handled and how this series resonated with people, with how the series resonated with fans, Final Fantasy VII was a watershed moment for video games, anime, and I would say Japanese culture in the United States. This game made me want to get a PlayStation. This game took over my life for most of my preteen and and early teenage years. Even to this day, I still go back and talk about it, and I think about it, and I play it a lot. And the characters stand out as some of the most recognizable and memorable characters of all time. And as a, it, what's funny, it's not even my favorite Final Fantasy game, and it's not even the Final Fantasy game that I would consider the best in the series. That being said, this game is a has a is a massive impact. It's 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 put it's been a massive impact on me. It's been a massive impact on the universe. And on the medium, I think, and I always say this, that Final Fantasy VII was instrumental. And I said this on our Pokemon episode. Final Fantasy VII, Dragon Ball Z, Sailor Moon, and Pokemon were instrumental in making anime something that was recognizable and appreciated among fans here in the States. Now I think anime would've would have had some popularity and it would've had pockets of fandom, but like that late nineties push, this was it. This was everything. The video games look like this, anime look like this. We started getting more anime style video games and fighting games. And even Street Fighter went more anime, had a more anime look at this point in time with Street Fighter Alpha 1, 2, and 3. And then the versus series that we talked about a few weeks ago. This game is a cultural milestone Now, there's a lot of younger people and a lot of video game uh, journalists and websites that look upon this game now and they're kind of like, oh, it's really not that good or it's that. And I think that's just like the quote unquote cool thing to say because everyone gushes about how good Final Fantasy VII is. If you didn't experience Final Fantasy VII at that point in time, I don't think you understand to the degree. And I think it's our job here to to kind of at least not explain, but kind of like show our input and show our how it impacted us in our lives and how that kind of changed gaming forever. It's 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 a watershed moment for video games, RPGs, and anime. Before this, RPGs were like a very, very, very small market. It was a very, very, very small piece of the market. A few people playing Dragon Quest and, and Final Fantasy 1, 2, and 3 in their basements. And this game kind of made the our RPG go mainstream. You know, it's like, it's like the, the RPG that everyone looks at and goes, oh yeah, I know what that is now. And because of that, we've seen the RPG explode. I mean, every game nowadays has an RPG. Mike, I think you set
0: the tone really well for what the world was like pre Final Fantasy VII because I think that cannot go unstated that most kids, most people did not play some of these popular SNES RPGs, at least in the States. Some of the Final Fantasy games that we got, the few that we did get in the confusing numbered order, they were not played much in the States. And this game was really the first. Now you got so many RPGs after this on PlayStation 1, PlayStation 2, Dreamcast, and all the systems to follow. But role-playing games and turn-based games were not very popular. But it wasn't just that. This brought a whole new level of blockbuster cinematic 3d rendering quality through visuals audio that this was the blockbuster this was jaws was to the movie theaters to video games
1: absolutely and i remember the ad campaign for final fantasy 7 it was everywhere like final fantasy 7 you couldn't escape first of all it's got the best name in the series right final fantasy 7 sounds great sounds great. It's the name. It's the number. Like I know it's like, oh, well, if there's seven of them, why is it called Final Fantasy? It's like, everyone knows the story. We get it. We get it. The original Final Fantasy was supposed to be the last game that Square made before they went out and bankrupt, but it did so well that they continued the series. It's like, well, how can there be It's like Final Fantasy is a good name. <laughs> All right. From a marketing standpoint, it's a great name. Alliteration is great. It stands out. It's got a great logo, great image. And they went, they moved away from the artwork of Yoshitaka Amano, which breaks my heart a little bit because I love Yoshitaka Amano's art. He's one of my favorite artists of all time. And they went with Tetsuya Nomura's artwork, who was much more modern, cool, anime style. Like these characters look like they could have been right out of Dragon Ball Z. And Chrono Trigger, which literally is Dragon Ball Z art, right, which some people jokingly will call the real Final Fantasy VII. Chrono Trigger, which is like actual Dragon Ball art because it's uh, Akira Toriyama, I feel like that game was, was maybe the start of the RPG being more mainstream, Corona Trigger, and then Final Fantasy VII was like, no, nope, you're all going to like this. And it proves it, it's proven itself because how many copies has this thing sold? It's sold a ton. It's sold a ton, and it's been selling like crazy since it came out because it's kind of one of those things where it's just like, hey, you got to check this out. This game is, it's like from a historical standpoint, it's like going back and watching Citizen Kane, right? It's like, if you want to see where film came from, you got to watch this. If you want to see where RPGs came from, you at least have to experience... A bit of what final fantasy 7 was about and i think final fantasy 7 was easier to get into than some of the other final fantasy games and it takes place in a well the beginning of the game which is probably the best part of the game most people would, would agree takes place in a very recognizable city almost like tokyo meets new york with a it little looks, bit of
0: looks very industrial very working class and it almost yeah. looks like these people are just getting by just surviving
1: Mm -hmm. And that's kind of the point, right? That's kind of the point. You play the beginning of Final Fantasy VII as a group of eco-terrorists, which is like, wow, that's that's quite remarkable. That's quite profound at the time. The story is about a company, an evil corporation, draining the earth of its power uh, to create energy for the wealthiest of the people who live on this giant plate that hovers and hangs over the city. So it's like okay, so obviously you've they've they've got ideas probably from Midgar from things like Alita Battle Angel, which had a had a a floating city that represented wealth and all that stuff and stuff maybe like Castle in the Sky, which are two earlier anime and manga projects. But that's kind of like at ninety in ninety seven. That's the story you're telling. It's like wow, that's completely kind of relevant to a lot of stuff that you hear about now, right? With what, what people talk about. So that's, that's the whole premise of the beginning of this game. And we all played it like crazy. Like we ate this up, like it was ice cream and chocolate sauce. Right. So it's the
0: stories, but then it's also the characters you're introduced to in the beginning. Exactly.
1: Exactly. I mean, mean, you got
0: that, that, that silent protagonist, you know, that tough guy who doesn't want to say much. And then you got the, the sidekick Barrett, who has a lot to say. (laughs) And then you got you got the bunch of ladies surrounding them. Which which better better way to live than that?
1: It's it's the the characters in Final Fantasy VII are so good, and I'm happy that cloud Cloud is like what they would call like a sundre character in an anime. Someone who's very very cold to start, but the more you kind of peel away this character, you kind of realize that they really do have a good heart and they're actually a good person. And this is better shown in the remake, I think, than the original. Cloud is just he starts off as kind of a jerk in the original game and he's this kind of cold exterior, but he does talk. So, you know, you're not totally trapped with just, this protagonist is completely silent. And I know a lot of people are sick of that trope. Cloud does talk and he does have have things to say, but it's a, he, Barrett's almost a perfect, he's a perfect uh, compliment to what Cloud is. Like this tough soldier, this tough soldier mercenary. And this guy who really cares about what he's doing. Like Barrett is someone who is all heart. And I think that's why Barrett's such a lovely character because he's all hard. He's looking to save the planet for his adopted daughter, which I think is just, it's a great great character. uh, It's a great motivation. And he just happens to have a Gatling gun for a left hand, which, you know, what can you do? Or a right hand, I forget. I got to look at the picture. I think it's his right arm, his right arm. But that being said, it stood out and it was so different than anything Final Fantasy had done at that time. Everything before this Final Fantasy was very much like I don't want to say it's high fantasy because it's not. It's not like Game of Thrones or Lord of the Rings. It's kind of like Final Fantasy's version of what high fantasy is. It's a very, you know, there's kingdoms and castles and dragons and, and wizards kings and all that. And stuff.
0: Wizards, yeah, you have all the things—the magic staffs and the swords and everything, goblins and orcs and all the things you expect from high fantasy. But let's, Mike, let's look at that timeline before we jump fully into Final Fantasy VII. Sure. Prior to this, Final Fantasy VI a Super Nintendo game. Yep. So here we are now Final Fantasy 7 and between that as you said they made Chrono Trigger which as you said some people call Final Fantasy 7 because it was the game they moved on to after 6 was completed. And when they started development on 7 this started as a Super Nintendo game it started to be developed for the cartridge but they realized they couldn't fully realize their dream of FMVs with these full motion videos these 3D polygons so they can work on a CD-ROM on the PlayStation.
1: And three discs of it, right? Three discs of Final Fantasy VII. And it's clear that a lot of that space on those discs went to the soundtrack probably, and which is all MIDI, so maybe not the soundtrack, but Nobuo Uematsu did it all in MIDI. And uh, I know sometimes some people don't like that because it kind of can get a little grainy and a little whiny at points. find uh, so A lot of the Final Fantasy VII music sounds much better when it's orchestrated. But the FMVs, man, they stood out like like crazy back in those days. Nothing looked like that.
0: No, pre-rendered and- video was not something common, and pre-rendered video surpassed gameplay by far. So when you're watching these videos, you see these characters fully come to life the way you imagine them to be, looking like you and me. It was beyond anything any video game could show you.
1: And you had like three, three different versions of the characters in the game. Like you would have while you're running around, you'd have like these almost Lego looking, blocky, weird 3D models running around the game. And then you would get in a battle, and the battle animations and the battle characters looked really cool. They looked very good. They still look very, very good. And then you would have like the cutscene versions of these characters where like they look amazing. And to this day, if you go back and watch those FMVs from Final Fantasy VII, they still look pretty good. It's it they've they're starting to age a little bit now because it's it's been twenty three years or whatnot, twenty four years, but they looked pretty good for a long time. And you couple that in with Nobuo Uematsu's soundtrack, which might be his most memorable, and the characters, you know, it's just it's a home run. It's a grand slam. It's it's everything you it's you, it's hitting for the cycle. It's like You got everything in this game was like pitch perfect, except for maybe parts of the translation were a little strange. Yeah.
0: And Um, like you said, this might not be everyone's particular favorite Final Fantasy game because I think eight and nine, particularly, did certain things better in terms of the FMVs look better, the characters look better, the 2D. Pre-rendered backgrounds look beautiful in some of the later games. Not to put seven down, but some later games did. But the impact and what this game did in the story is beloved, and I think has a special place in everyone's heart.
1: I'm going to say something that is going to sound simplistic. I think Final Fantasy seven, and this is the same way I explain, it, I, I describe Persona five, and this is I mean this in the actual meaning not the actual meaning of the word, but like the actual slang of it. Final Fantasy VII is really <laughs> cool. It's a cool, cool game.
0: Well, this is cyberpunk. Before cyberpunk was, this is 23 years before the game existed. <laughs>
1: I know. Well, 23 years before the game existed and maybe, you know, 25 before it's playable on a console. Ah, so, boom, ah, shot. That's what but, we do here.
0: But this is, yeah, when you look at Cloud's outfit here and you look at some of the characters, the way they're dressed, The cyberpunk world and feel is really cool. I think some summarizing with a four-letter word is not selling it short.
1: I think it's cool. That's and that's it's like it's got a certain coolness to it that, like I said, Persona Five has that same coolness. It's hip. It's got like a. It's like it's got a groove. It's rock and roll, right? It's like a. It's like Cloud wears like he's not wearing leather, right? He's not like wearing leather and stuff, but he's wearing like he's wearing like these these cool like not really military clothes, but he's got, he's wearing dark clothes and like, like these sleeveless, things.
0: right? It's a good, yeah. like, showing off the arms,
1: showing off some sep, you know, he's, he's carrying this big butcher knife on his back. He's, uh, he's got these cool boots and big old belt and this spiky punk rock hairstyle. So it's kind of like this thing where it's like, all right, they know what they're going for here. And Japanese cyberpunk is great. I, I highly suggest anyone who hasn't Read stuff like Ghost in the Shell at least the first the first manga of Ghost in the Shell is really good read Akira uh, the manga of Akira if you watch the movie, the movie is like a seminal classic. Like it's a, it's a very important cyberpunk piece of art. But the movie doesn't make a lot of sense when you just watch it on its own. Um, it's beautifully animated and 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 a wonder to watch from an animated movie standpoint. But read the read the manga of Akira because that was definitely super influential on Final Fantasy VII. Uh, Neo Tokyo and and Midgar might as well be the same city. Alita: Battle Angel also very cool. Read that as well. Check that out. That's all stuff that definitely influenced the cyberpunk of this. And at that point in time, Final Fantasy didn't come anywhere near cyberpunk. The closest we got was Final Fantasy VI was very s- steampunky. It had like a steampunk feel to it in those really cool Magitek armor machines, which I love. And Final Fantasy VI, I think, is the best one in the series. A lot of people um, do. I, I, think it's, I think it's great. And I think Final Fantasy VI kind of is what built the characterization you started to get more characterization with characters in final fantasy 4 which is which is a beautiful game and it's lovely but it's it's definitely falls a little short in that stuff whereas like final fantasy 4 is you know it's essentially star wars like half the final fantasy games are star wars and then final fantasy 6 really started to be like okay so this this game's got 12 characters in it and each of these characters has their own very important story that they're bringing together to try to do this thing and final fantasy 7 runs with that now what we see in Final Fantasy VII that's a little different is that your combat is trimmed down to only three characters in battle, as opposed to four, which we saw in Final Fantasies I through six. You wouldn't get four characters back in your party to Final Fantasy IX, and Final Fantasy IX is my favorite, but oh my gosh, the load times are horrific. So Final Fantasy VII and VIII both use three characters, and I, I appreciate that because you could really animate these characters so much better in combat and uh, the the roster is a little smaller than you would see in something like Final Fantasy VI. But Final Fantasy VII, I think, has like eight characters in it.
0: It's a tight group of characters. Yeah, I
1: think it's live. six. I think it's six characters that you all, always get, and and two that are optional, right? So, uh, a all optional ones. Yeah. Yeah. So it's Cloud, uh, Tifa, Aeris, or Aerith. Sorry, uh, Barrett. So that's four, Red Thirteen's five. Red Kate 13. Sith is six. Mm-hmm. Vincent, uh, Sid. Sid. So you get, you get nine characters, Vincent and Yuffie. So it's Goofy, Yep. Yeah. You, so, so you got a wonderful cast of characters here that all have their own backstories that you get to experience a lot. You get to experience a lot of their backstory, which is really great. And it's not something that we saw much of in an RPG before final fantasy six, where we go back and go, Hey, cloud's got his own thing going on. Tifa has her own thing going on. Barrett has his own thing and parts of their past actually kind of come back to haunt them throughout the story of the story. So
0: fleshed out characters. I mean, as far as story is mm-hmm. concerned, yeah. this game is story heavy. And that's probably one of the game's biggest strengths is the depth that they go to to introduce each of these characters, the world they're from, why they are the way they are. You understand who Barrett is because of what he's experienced. Exactly. You understand who Tifa is because of what she's been through. And Cloud, you learn throughout the game who he was. Who he thought he was. I mean, what a plot twist, Mike. A,
1: A big plot twist. And this is one of the first games I remember before, like Knights of the Old Republic, where a plot twist really took me by surprise, where it's like, hey, guess what? Cloud isn't Cloud at all. His memories are not his own. Cloud is a giant poser faking to be another guy that he had experience with. Cloud is actually not. He thinks he's Zach. He thinks he's Zach, which is why... The love story with Aerith even happens at all. She thinks he's Zach, he thinks he's Zach, and he's not.
0: But let's get personal, Mike. As we're talking about this game and this plot twist, tell me when you first experienced this game, played it through, what on the original PlayStation, when did you have it, how long did you play it, sure. and what was it like for you at that time?
1: So I got a PlayStation 1 in 1997 for Christmas, I got it for ni- 1997. I got the N64 a year before that, but as I said I'm on our console quest, on our big console <laughs> on our big console Battle Royale, I don't dislike the N64, I just was never the biggest fan of it. And I think at that point in time, it was missing a lot of the stuff that I like to play. And I'm still a Nintendo fanboy through and through, but the, the Switch now is like, wow, that's everything I ever wanted out of a Nintendo console. Cause it's like what the Super Nintendo did on steroids. So, I was into RPGs and adventure games and these longer experiences and these more in depth experiences at the time. So, I got a PlayStation because I couldn't, you couldn't escape, like I said, you couldn't escape the Final Fantasy VII marketing. I remember the commercial to this day with it's got it had this amazing tagline. And the amazing tagline on the commercial was, if he fails, referring to cloud and saving the world, you can always hit the reset button. And it was like, oh my God. And it seemed so like, this was crazy. And I remember seeing the trailers online of like, I'm not online, obviously on TV of, of cloud, like blocky cloud on top of the train and him falling off the bridge, jumping off the bridge, escaping the troops and stuff like that. And I'm like, I, I need this. This is what I want. And I had played final fantasy three or six at the time. And obviously Mario RPG and, and Chrono trigger. so I was like, I need this in my veins. So uh, Christmas is 97. I got uh, a PlayStation and I got, you know, like crash bandicoot and stuff like that. And I didn't get Final Fantasy VII because it was very hard to find at that point in time because games weren't reprinted like crazy. So I remember going to GameStops and Final Fantasy VII was never there. And then Final Fantasy Tactics came out, which is another one of my favorite games of all time. And that you could never get your hands on. So I got Final Fantasy. I borrowed Final Fantasy VII from a friend and had my memory card and started my own game and eventually gave it back to him. And then I bought a Greatest Hits version of Final Fantasy VII. The great
0: label on the side, that Greatest Hits.
1: The green, the green greatest hits label still annoys me and it upsets me that that's the version of Final Fantasy VII I have, but what can you do? So I got Final Fantasy VII with the green label and played it nonstop for like, I want to say like a year or so, maybe a little longer. Like I would just continuously jump back in and play it and do all the mini games and do all the side quests. And I probably put a hundred some odd hours into the final fantasy seven and it was everything. And, and like I said before, like it was a perfect time for me. I was like 11, 12 years old, playing this game nonstop, watching dragon ball Z every single day after school, going to the comic book shop, buying manga, buying, you know bootleg subtitled de- anime tapes you know watching pokemon and sailor moon before going to school watching Toonami after school so like man did this hit on all cylinders it was like i was watching the anime i was playing the video games i was reading the manga it was like you couldn't you couldn't get enough of this and this style and this game that was my experience with it i played it non-stop and i've played it probably four or five times total uh, probably two or three on the playstation And I definitely played it when they re-released the HD version on the Switch a few years back. I bought it immediately. And for all of you folks out there who think that Final Fantasy is a PlayStation series, I will tell you, you are incorrect. Because I played it with a Super Nintendo controller on my Switch. And if that is supposed to make me feel bad, then I never want to feel good.
0: Well, Mike, my experience of Final Fantasy VII is vastly different than yours. I got a PS1 probably around the same time as you, but I was playing... Platformers, shooters, different types of games. I did not get into the RPG right away, and I borrowed my friend's Final Fantasy VII because he said, "You got to play this game. This game will change your life." And I think I got up the the roof of Midgar, and then something distracted me. I mean, the roof of the you know the Shinra building. Yep, yep. And I got I got distracted, and I that's probably still in the first disc, I'd say. It, a- is.
1: Mm-hmm. it is. It the-
0: is. I thought the game was fine. I thought the game was good, but. <laughs> I was probably at that age. I was probably, where are we at that age? We're 11, 12 years old. So I'm 12, 13 years old. And it just didn't do it for me at the time. Here I am saying, "Eh, I played enough of the game. I know what it's about. Nintendo Switch comes, Final Fantasy. They release all the Final Fantasy games, like on one trailer, one Nintendo Direct. They said, here's 10 (laughs) Final Fantasy games. I love it. I'm buying them all. So I went out and, and bought every Final Fantasy game on the Switch. And I played seven then 8, then 9. I'd already played 8 and 9 previously, but the quality of life improvements speeding things up.
1: Oh, thank goodness, yeah.
0: They really made some improvements to the game, touched up some textures. I loved the game. I absolutely loved the game. I said, how did I miss so much? And there's so many charming things about this game. You got these these mini game sequences that are thrown in the mix, which are very Japanese-influenced, but these minigame stuff, these silly things you have Cloud do, these dance routines, these marching sequences when you're dressed as a soldier, all these different things you do throughout this game, it feels like more than one game in one. It feels like five different games put into one.
1: That was the mentality Square was trying to do at that time, to, uh, trying, to uh, trying to follow at that time, where Final Fantasy, obviously, it's an RPG, but they wanted you to be able to do... Everything in a Final Fantasy game, uh, whether it's racing, whether it's the Fort Condor stuff, which is like real-time strategy or in like tactics-based strategy, which I thought was really cool. The snowboarding game, the the cloud on the bike hitting stuff with his sword game. But the, the depth they sub, went to, submarine. when you
0: sneak out of Aerith's house and you have to sneak out <laughs> of the bedroom... In the original game, that must have took me somewhere between 30 and 40 tries. (laughs) And this is a sequence that did not have to exist, but that's just them, you know what, going, you know what, let's have fun here. And then, as you said, you get the sequences on the bike. You got the sequence in the building where, you know what, you can take the elevator or you can take the stairs. And if you take the stairs, it's a whole different experience.
1: I love the stairs. I always take the stairs. It's too funny for me not to take the stairs to hear like Tifa and Barrett bust each other's chops while they're running up the stairs. And like Barrett just can't do it. And he can't hang up, keep up. I love that about it. I love the Aerith escaping her house thing because it ultimately just doesn't work. And it gives you a taste of what the character was, right? Like who Aerith was and- when you go and play the remake, you really get a better better feel for her because they could do more with her. But like Eris is not gonna listen. Like she's 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 like tough she, she's tough, man. She's Persistent. a tough girl. She's yeah. a tough girl from the slums who who yeah. no one's gonna tell her what to do. Uh, and you know that's another twist, right? Well, let's that's an- talk about Aerith. So when I played this game a
0: year ago, fully yeah. for the first time. I knew that Aerith, you know, Sephiroth stabs, I, it's been spoiled to me on the internet, I've known for decades. But the plot twist with the Zack thing, I did not know about. So experience, I threw a game, this was like M. Night Shyamalan pulling, you know, pulling one on me and I said, wow. So everything I believed I was as Cloud is a lie. And he's just basically meant to believe these things.
1: Well, I think that's how in the story, that's how the Jenova cells work, right? The Jenova cells kind of implant fake memories in people and they have the ability, at least, I don't know, if I'm, I'm trying to you know, wade through the rough translation of the first game, uh, the rough localization in spots. So from what I always gathered was that the Jenova cells that Cloud was injected with, I guess, by Hojo when he was in the basement of the Shinra mansion, kind of gave him a bit and pieces of the memories of Zack. And those cells also can influence other people's memories, like Tifa's memories of Cloud, because Tifa's memories of Cloud are also completely wrong right? Also, you go to Nibelheim, right? That's in the story of Final Fantasy VII. So cool. Sephiroth burns Nibelheim down.
0: And reliving that whole sequence two or three times throughout the game mm-hmm. as you visit the last time with Zack and you're just a soldier standing there. yeah, And watching the whole, as you said, the whole town up in flames and you follow and you got Tifa and then the cowboy hat as a kid. The whole sequence is it's great, awesome.
1: It's, it's so great. good. And you go back to Nibelheim at points and it's like, wow, it's it's perfectly fine. And uh, it's great to, it, that, was a, that was a bigger twist than Eris dying, uh, to be perfectly honest with you. Now, Eris's death to me was, was spoiler free at the time until I turned a page in the strategy guide and saw that she had been killed. And uh, I said, great, wonderful. And unfortunately, I used her in my party as my main healer because she's good at that. And uh, eventually that 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 shows that it's futile. But like that was... that Obviously that wasn't the first time a character had been killed permanently in a Final it's, Fantasy it's game. It's
0: frustrating in RPGs when you invest a lot of time in a character and then they pull them away from you. But this yes. at its time. This was kind of like Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho thinking you have the main character. Nope, she's not the main. We're killing her off. And Aerith yeah. was meant to be the focal point. We have to save her. She's this ancient. There's a love story going on with her and Cloud. Uh, so you, you're kind of seeing her being the focal female protagonist, and then boom,
1: she's boom. gone. Dead, and they kill her real dead. And it's 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 actually heartbreaking. It's a really, it's it's an emotional scene that happens in the game. And it's something that you didn't see much of in video games at that point. Now, to be fair, there are Final Fantasy characters that die in prior games. Golov from Final Fantasy V dies uh, in Final Fantasy V. Uh, but this because these characters are so much more fleshed out. And even from a visual standpoint, because they could do so much more with the graphics and the scene, every era that scene is an FMV. They feel more real. They just feel feel more
0: grounded, more real than a 2d sprite. As much as I love 2d graphics and 2d sprites and super Nintendo games, this just feels like we know them better.
1: It, it, it feels like, you know, if you were watching a series a TV series of Final Fantasy VII and Aeris dies at the end of season one. It's like, oh, wow, how how is this going to continue? You know, she gets stabbed and the white materia turns green because it was used and it bounces off of her head, or off of her out of her hair tie and onto the ground and Sephiroth standing there with his absurdly long sword and Cloud has a moment where he just loses it. And I feel like emotion in, in storytelling was not that prominent in video games at that point in time. And I think that this was one of those first times where it was just like, oh, the hero's getting angry.
0: Well, I think this it was is interesting. Hard. Before this, prior to this, I think it was difficult to show emotion, to show stories because you didn't have voice acting, FMVs, you didn't have the proper audio visual cues to let the audience really feel like this is a movie or something cinematic now with the ability to show these type of things, storytelling, I think after Final Fantasy 7 took on a whole new level and ins- inspired video game
1: stories. It definitely raised the bar on how stories could be told. And, and at this time, you could say anything you want about Square Enix today. I actually still think Square Enix does great stuff today. I think that they've become a little bit more divisive uh, in the last few years based on some of the stuff they did, but I think they still do a lot of amazing things i still love square enix but square enix in 19 from 1990 to 1999 or 2000 that 10-year ga- gap and that 10-year span is square enix is the best video game publisher um or at least one of the best video game developers at that time pound for pound best story music gameplay characters games like if you look at the list of games that they created at that point in time over those 10 years it's like oh my gosh you well, made some of the best games ever made and final Fantasy there
0: something you say about movies you say production value
1: mm-hmm. and i would
0: say that's what you say about square games especially yeah. in that time period yeah. the production value it's that all-encompassing audio visual it gives you the graphics the gameplay the audio and the story and this you can't always get all of those elements in a game
1: no you don't and final fantasy 7 is it's a star wars of video gaming I'm not going to say it's the Star Wars of video games. I think there's a lot of games that you could say are the Star Wars of video games because I feel like there are a lot of, a lot of games that did, did stuff similar to this at different points in time. But it, it has that mentality. Not Maybe not from the story, but it definitely from the production value and what it did to games after it. Like film before Star Wars is different than film after Star Wars. Well, there's a lot after- of
0: people that consider this the greatest game ever made and Mike if someone walked up to you stranger or not and said Mike my favorite game is Final Fantasy 7 can you really argue or, or or fight fight that um as a topic
1: I would jokingly look at them and go I, I actually prefer six and nine but that's okay no if, uh, if someone came up to me and said, Final Fantasy VII is my favorite game and I think it's the best game of all time, I would say, like, okay, you're going to sit down next to my friend here who says Ocarina of Time is the best game and we're going to have a lovely chat because I think it's perfectly reasonable and I think it's perfectly fair to say that Final Fantasy VII is the greatest game of all time. And it's perfectly fair to say that Final Fantasy VII is your favorite game of all time. It's up there it, on from an objective standpoint and from my objective standpoint, given my life experiences and when I grew up final fantasy 7 ocarina of time super mario world these are all games that are in that conversation and I think that it's completely fair for all of them to be in that conversation and I think final fantasy 7 if it's your favorite game of all time yeah I'm not going to argue with that like absolutely let's talk about this and let's talk about how good this game and its remake are because final fantasy 7 like I've said a thousand times this podcast, changed everything. Well, I think, as you
0: said, the timing had a lot to do with this. I love Super Mario World, and I'm sure we'll talk about that game because that game hits all the right spots for me too. But when you talk about Final Fantasy VII, this game, the technology, it had everything, the latest and greatest at its fingertips. The playability and just the diversity of the way you can play this game and the narrative, I don't feel like before this you had all of that in a game even super mario world does not have narrative over the technology that this has listen
1: super mario world's the best game ever made but like it's it does not have the elements that's that final fantasy 7 has final fantasy 7 is like catching lightning in like a six-pack right i mean
0: it's a triple threat you know, it's, it's,
1: just, it's it can sing it can dance and it can act yeah, exactly. so it's like it's you can't beat it man it's like Oh my gosh! And and I'll say this a hundred times. I will say this a thousand times. Some Final Fantasies do it better. Yep. But Final Fantasy 7 felt like it did it first, in 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 many in many in many ways, right? Final Fantasy VI is obviously before Final Fantasy 7. Uh, even that numbering makes sense uh, for Final Fantasy. And my I, final, yeah. I will make a controversial statement. I actually Let's do this.
0: I like eight better than seven. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> give me squall give me renoa give me zell any day of the week give me a final fantasy 8 remake i love it i love 7 VII. 8 is my favorite and 9 for me sorry mike is the weakest of the three i couldn't get along with these childlike
1: well you got to understand where i came from right people who typically like me right who played final fantasy from the beginning i played i started for final Fantasy one on the NES. So I started playing Final Fantasy one and then I played two and then I played three as they came out in the United States. Final Fantasy seven to me was the weird one. Final Fantasy seven was the game that did things differently. Final Fantasy seven was the, yeah, Yeah, it got away from what I thought Final Fantasy was supposed to be. And Final Fantasy eight, while it's great, didn't resonate with me the same way because to me, Final Fantasy eight felt like Final Fantasy seven light to a degree in terms of the characters are very similar. And I'm a guy with like shaggy, dark hair who wears a lot of leather. So like, You think I would be like, yeah, this guy squalls, my dude, right? But no, I, I, you know, it didn't resonate with me the same way. I think Final Fantasy VIII, me and Final Fantasy VIII have a have an interesting relationship because I will never, ever, 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 ever call the game bad. I know that there are people that do, and I think that's unfair. I think Final Fantasy VIII took a lot of risks, a lot of people, a lot of things differently. A
0: lot of people find things in that game controversial. Don't like some of the systems they think that some of the summons are way too long which i understand
1: yeah i mean final fantasy 8 is 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 a very good game it's a very good game and i've never ever i never have argued with people about that just because it doesn't resonate with me the same way it resonates with others doesn't mean it's bad it's just very different
0: it hit me at the right point and i played all those four discs on the ps1 non-stop for probably about a month i probably sunk 70 80 hours into that game as a kid easily and these felt like my people so yeah and the whole hub in the school i like the whole environment i fell in love with that
1: i will say this final fantasy 8 is the best soundtrack in the series hands down i think it's uiwatsu's but best very
0: work. heavily influenced from 7 a lot of the bones from 7 is there
1: yeah, but he does a lot of different stuff in that game. There's some rock and roll in there. There's some like funk in there. The world map theme is great. The bottom garden theme is amazing. The battle theme, forget it. It's the best battle theme in the system. Both of them, both of them, hands down. If I was gonna listen to one Final Fantasy soundtrack and just sit down and put hit play and listen to it start to finish, it's Final Fantasy VIII. It's the best soundtrack in the uh, in the series, and I think that's because they knew what they were doing. They knew what the software they were working with. They knew They knew the hardware they were working with at that time. Uh, but this isn't the final fantasy. VII, yeah, let show. Me apologize. I put but out- no,
0: So I, let's I, go back to seven. Mike, I want to try something new here because sure or not of final fantasy seven to talk about. I thought I would name a couple things about final fantasy seven, kind of like hot, you know, quick spitfire round.
1: Oh, let's do let this.
0: You kind of give your quick thoughts on some of the things that final fantasy seven is known for. Sure. First, Let me throw the word chocobos at you.
1: Oh, man. No, thank you. Please. The worst. Oh, my gosh. And the best. Chocobo racing is so much fun, but I will tell you right now, that that Chocobo T.O. with the guy with the hat, I hate that Chocobo. I hate everything about that Chocobo. I hope that I hope that Chocobo just n- runs off into a river. I can't handle that Chocobo. It beat me so many times. Not only that, catching an S-ranked Chocobo in the frozen tundra up north is so difficult and takes so long. And I don't know how anyone figured out how to do any of that Chocobo stuff to get a gold Chocobo. I don't know. Anyone figure that out without some sort of guide. The strategy guide is useless on that part. You have to go online and figure that stuff out. And that was in like the 90s. So like there was no internet yet at this point. That being said, um, I think there are other games that do Chocobo stuff better. I think the Final Fantasy IX work in Chocobo Hot and Cold is amazing. And boy, is that a great song. Uh, I, I love the like finding like the stuff out in the ocean in Final Fantasy IX. But Final Fantasy VII made the Chocobos like... Come on, like those are those are the first like real, real chocobos that you spend a lot of time with. And they be from in that game. It it was like the first game where like the side quests were really heavily around the chocobo. And, and you get knights of the round when you get a gold chocobo. So that's great.
0: Next one, Materia.
1: Ooh. Materia is a hard one for me. I like it. But the problem with Materia is that it makes all of the characters vanilla in combat. Nobody has their own real special thing outside of Limit Breaks. So that's you can why- give
0: anyone thunder, you can give anyone fire. You-
1: Final Fantasy VI has a similar system with the Esper system when you equip people with an Esper and they get spells and abilities based off the Esper they have, but each character already has their own special ability based on their class. Now in Final Fantasy VII, there are no classes right so you just hook people up with materia and items to kind of make them what you want now that that offers you more customization but i'm someone who kind of likes when each party member has like their specialty you know
0: so that's materia let me bring you another one limit breaks
1: oh they're the best they're the best except for vincent who's a total joke let me tell you vincent is a cat oh well you know we'll get back we we'll can get into vincent in a little bit uh, limit Breaks are awesome. I love Limit Breaks. I love that they've come back in other Final Fantasy games. I think they're awesome in 8 and I think the Trance thing is cool in 9. I, I think they're amazing and I think it gives your characters a little bit more a little bit more uh, originality could, based on the Limit Breaks that they use. Also, Tifa has a, a, an endless Limit Break that she can do with her slots that she can literally kill anything ever. So good for her. She's awesome.
0: So I think we'll finish up. I want to just bring some, throw some numbers at you on this game. Uh, this game was the first big budget game, the Blockbuster AAA game, they say, because in that game, they said roughly around 60 to $80 million was the budget, wow. uh, depending on marketing and the United States and Japan, this and that. But this game was originally released on the PS1 in 1997. Mm-hmm. It was brought to the PC with the help of Eidos. Yeah. Who Square, who Square kind of owns now? Yeah, it's a funny relationship, <laughs> they, how it started. And the code, actually, they had to recode almost the entire game and that ends up being the code they used for all the future ports. Yep. So Interesting enough, that came in handy. Yeah,
1: this definitely. game sold in
0: 1998, 6 million copies. It was the best-selling PlayStation game at the time and was the fastest-selling of any game of all time at that point. Wow. All right. This was future brought to PlayStation Network, Steam, Mobile, Xbox One. This game is now playable everywhere
1: yeah definitely it's 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 absolutely everywhere and it's not that expensive and the quality of life improvements on these hd remasters are really good um final fantasy 7 accessible
0: for a modern audience
1: it's you know for anyone who didn't play it back in the day it's real slow it's real slow nowadays it feels like it takes forever even for me who played it i played it with the fast forward on sometimes because i'm like oh my gosh was it this slow when i was a kid i'm like i guess so but yeah, I, I it's definitely worth it on that. Uh, if it's like fifteen bucks or something like that, it's it's worth your money. You like can it find really it is. on
0: sale pretty often, and that's probably why it's now sold twelve point eight million across all platforms as of today. And it is widely considered the best game, or in the conversation for it, the best game of all time. It was a landmark for role playing games, visuals, storytelling, and many. Famous, well-known game developers, such as Peter Malnix, who's the the Fable series, Greg Zeschuk from Bioware. I'm sure I'm pronouncing that wrong. These guys said Final Fantasy VII heavily influenced every game they were a part of.
1: I mean, all of us, right? It heavily influenced all of us. Even like the start screen to Cuphead (laughs) is the start screen to Final Fantasy VII. Instead of Cloud Sword saying start and continue, it's the cup, which I love. So this game's influence far, far, far outreaches its original release, and it's a lovely, lovely game. It's one of my favorites. I might, I've got the itch. I might go back and play it again. I might need to, especially after playing the remake, because uh, it it made me made me uh, definitely nostalgic, and the remake's kind of its own thing. So it makes me want to go back and and play it. And I'm very happy that it sold as well as it did. Uh, Final Fantasy VII is a game that was so important to my cultural awakening as a kid that I love that it's still around. I love that it's still appreciated. And you know what? I don't get mad at the people who know Cloud and Sephiroth from Kingdom Hearts. I think that's wonderful. I think that it's great that these great amazing characters have found their way into different parts of the medium even Smash Brothers. When Cloud was released on Smash Brothers, I lost my mind. Lost my mind. It was like a dream that 11-year-old me could have like never thought of I ever happening
0: as excited when I saw Sephiroth just a couple months ago. I know. I crazy. lost my my cool. <laughs> I don't want to say the
1: bad word here. I lost my, uh, <laughs> I
0: lost it. I completely lost it when I saw Sephiroth. They said, wow, that is cool.
1: There were two moments of Smash Brothers reveals that really hit me right in what they call the feels. The first was Mega Man because it was like validation, right? It was validation. When he showed up and they showed him teleport in, I like cried. How, how could this get any better? How could this get any better? And then two months ago or a month ago, they were like, oh, no, no, we put Sephiroth in, guys. And we're like, all right, okay, okay. We're over Minecraft, Steve, and and another Fire Emblem character. We're over that because you just put Sephiroth. How did you make this happen? Everyone
0: complains that there's too many sword characters. But it's funny. When Sephiroth was announced, no one was complaining anymore.
1: Everyone is full of it. That's why. Everyone is full of it. Everyone doesn't want a sword character until they show Dante or Sephiroth or some other cool character that's not from Fire Emblem with a sword. And I love Fire Emblem. Byleth is awesome. I think Byleth's a great character. I I love Fire Emblem Three Houses and I love Byleth. So Mike, I think we've done a great job talking about Final Fantasy VII. It's one of those
0: games where each week I feel like we're talking about the impact. I feel like this game is is right in that group as far as most impactful games, landmark games. And that's why, if it's okay with you, (laughs) I want to talk about another Final Fantasy VII game today. What do you? Oh, uh, oh, are we going to talk about a Crisis Core for the (laughs) PSP that you can't get anywhere? Or should we talk about Advent Children, the the movie?
1: I'm good. Uh, I saw Advent Children like twice and uh, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good with all of that. Oh, man. Did they just drop the ball and all that stuff?
0: So the second game that me and mike want to talk about and induct into our hall of fame today is none other than final fantasy 7 remake
1: yeah so it's a double dose it's like you just got kicked in the gut and now you're getting stone cold stunned i'm keeping it topical and i'm keeping it to that time period because that's the bottom line
0: so i feel like we didn't talk about the characters that much because i figured you know what we have time to flesh them out in the remake
1: well, I'll tell you this much: the groundwork that Final Fantasy VII, the original Final Fantasy VII, gives you for these characters is 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 not full is, is fleshed out really nicely for what you could do in an all text game. But when you get to the remake, or you know the first part of the remake, they give you the best part of Final Fantasy VII, and they multiply it by like five. Like the remake is like is like forty hours long. It all takes place in Midgar, and the first like five or six hours of the original game that they, they kind of make into this 40 hour game. And part of the best part of the 40 hour game is the fact that you get to spend more time learning who these characters are and oh my gosh, that they absolutely crush it. Every single character.
0: Let's rewind to that. What you just said there is that this game only completes maybe 25 percent of the original game now when this game was announced the remake people were saying oh great i'm getting final fantasy 7 all made up all new brand new just as i remember it no you're getting a very small portion of the game but little did they know that and i'm going to be biased here that you're going to fall in love this is going to make you appreciate the game even more because of the characters you said that they fully explore they become fully realized and I think this is actually better than the original now in every which way.
1: I will tell you this much. I don't know if I could say something so bold, but I will say this. Final Fantasy VII, I don't want to say it waned on me in terms of my appreciation for it over time. But like it had been a while since I was like in full Final Fantasy mode when the remake came out. And I started the remake and that intro scene hit with you know everything from the stars and you hear the music and you zoom down into Midgar and you see the train and cloud jumps off the train. And I was instantly transported back to being 12. And it was like one of those things where I'm like, no, 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 this, this was it. This was the best. I, It was a point in my life where it was just like, I didn't realize how big of an impact it had on me. But like playing the remake made me appreciate Final Fantasy VII so much more. And it just makes you really just, like you like you said, love and appreciate not only the game, but the characters and the world they're in. Like Midgar was was such a wonderful character in the remake. They fleshed out uh, Aerith and Tifa to the point where it's just like they gave them so much more, even more personality than they originally did. And you got a really, a much better feel for who they are. And that whole rambunctious, like what I was saying before, that kind of like, you know, kind of rambunctious attitude from Aerith is like that sarcastic goofball you know chop buster and Aerith is really shown in this game I mean she even picks up a steel chair at some point to hit someone with it which I think is kind of great
0: well I agree with you the, the personalities in the original you understand who these characters are you get who cloud is you get who Aerith is you get mm-hmm. who Tifa is but in this game you feel like you really understand these people and Aerith's personality shines Tifa's personality shines and yeah. Barrett. You really understand yeah. what makes these people tick, what they like, what they dislike, what they deal with, when they go to sleep at night, when they wake up in the morning, what their days are like. You know what these people are doing.
1: Exactly. And even more so, I think it was very, very important to flesh out Tifa and Aerith and Barrett and Cloud. Obviously, these are your main characters in this game. They're the only four characters that you could really play as in the game. You do get a little bit of a little taste of Red 13 later on, but he's kind of like a, a preview for the sequel but the the biggest the biggest betrayal from the original game is that you spend the first few hours with Avalanche with Jesse and Biggs and uh, Wedge. and how long are they? They may in fifteen minutes, like of- they're they're like not in the game at all. And playing the remake, that's one of the best parts of the remake Love is it. you get to experience Avalanche and what these characters are like. and and Jesse is awesome, and Biggs and Wedge are awesome. And it's and one of those things, yeah.
0: The passion behind Avalanche and what these people are trying to achieve, you get a better understanding of, and yeah, Wedge, he's around for a while, and you get a good understanding of why they do what they do yeah. and how passionate
1: they are about it. And they will give their lives for this purpose. And in the original game, they did, right? But spoilers, Final Fantasy VII Remake is not the same game. It's not the same story. Things are different. Fate has changed in this remake. So Square did a very smart thing in saying, hey, we're going to do things a little bit differently to where this is almost like an alternate reality version of Final Fantasy VII, probably the next universe over because Avalanche makes it out.
0: Yeah, it's They almost, survive. People have online created a new word for this game. They say it's a reboot sequel where it's yeah. a sequel. Yeah. People are saying because it's not a complete remake because it's not tone for tone what you originally see, but it's not fully a sequel takes place after. So it's almost like an alternate universe, like you said, but you see most of the sequences that you see in the first quarter of the game, you know, you're going through the reactors, you, you know, cloud falls through and he sees Aerith again for the second time in, in where her flower patches. All these events that you remember are now in this gorgeous, and I cannot understate How beautiful these character models, the environments. I've heard some things online, people complain about textures. Get that out of here. Get that garbage out of here. This game is 11 out of 10 beauty.
1: I you I saw I remember seeing the character models. Now I remember seeing the I always called the Final Fantasy remake, Final Fantasy VII remake, the break glass in case of emergency game that Square Enix kept on the back wall in the event that they needed to make a few billion dollars or full or you know hundreds of millions of dollars because they first showed a Final Fantasy VII remake at the at the tech demo for the PlayStation Three
0: just to show off what the hardware was capable of. They didn't. There were no chance of making a game at that time.
1: No chance. They didn't want to make a Final Fantasy VII remake. And then every year at E3, every fan was like, when are we getting the Final Fantasy VII remake? When are we getting the Final Fantasy VII remake? And it's like Square was not in a hard, they were not doing poorly when they decided that they're going to put the remake out. Final Fantasy XV, say what you will, that I know there are a lot of people who don't like that game. I actually happen to like it quite a bit. Final Fantasy XV sold like crazy. Dragon Quest XI sold like crazy. Like Final, Fa- Square Enix was doing fine. But they broke the glass. And thank God that they did. Because oh my gosh, is Final Fantasy VII Remake the best, probably the best combination of everything that Final Fantasy XV and 13 do correctly? And even better.
0: I think you're talking about this newly developed combat yes, gameplay yes. system. And. you've played 15 it's more action heavy if you played some of the newer ones it's it comes away from the turn based so what Mm -hmm. you know from seven eight nine is very different in some of the newer games so here we have in in seven remake it's a combination of both yeah you have this action you can just swing through the whole game you can hack and slash through most of the game you might not do great but there you get any point you can hit x bring up your commands And now you feel like you're transported back to Final Fantasy VII, the original, where you can do a spell, do a different action, grab an item, give someone a potion. You can do all these things. And the game is moving at 1 100th speed. So you're watching these beautiful backgrounds paused, but not really fully paused.
1: Yeah, it's, it's really cool. And it's one of those things where it's like, you can even play it on easy mode or like casual mode, where it actually plays kind of like a turn-based game, and like you don't have to do any of the hack and slash. The game does that for you, and you just put in your commands when the ATB bar builds up. But when you're playing it where it's like half and half, right? Action and and turn ba- and not turn-based, but like item uh, menu-based. It feels so good because it's like okay, cool. I'm doing stuff while my ATB bar is filling up. I'm I'm fighting the guys. I'm I'm using this a- wonderful action combat, like the best action combat the series has ever had. Ever. And then. And then, okay, cool. I'm going to hop in there and I'm going to cast a spell or I'm going to hop in there and I'm going to use my limit break or I'm going to hop in there and do that. Or a
0: summon. Hit- the
1: summons are yeah. really cool too. Sum- summons are awesome in that game. Wow, are they so and cool.
0: I love being able to just hit assess and being able to assess your monster or yeah. your, your yeah. enemy and seeing what their weaknesses are and telling you all the information about them. And some of these things that seemed materia seemed like a almost like a silly final fantasy trope in some of the old games here you actually see it in the weapons in the gloves so it makes so cool science wise it it, it makes sense of these things
1: it's so cool watching cloud like climb up a ladder and you see like the two sockets in the sword or the three sockets in the sword like if you get the hard edge you see like the three sockets in the sword with the materia and it's like okay cool this makes sense and it like gives them elemental powers and all that stuff and each character has weapons that makes them better at different things so like you can kind of customize them a little bit bit you know in my version of the game tifa was the strongest it just ended up being that the weapon i got from her made her the strongest fighter she's she all about that stagger she's just all like
0: about that stagger
1: bashing faces in like punching robots in the mouth which i i, I appreciate i think the monk is the best class in Final Fantasy. I think it's the most fun because I think it's great when you're fighting a dragon and there's one guy in your party who's like, I'm going to punch the dragon. And then, or you're fighting a train and one of the guys in the party goes, I'm going to suplex the train. So like, that's kind of how, how I played my version of Tifa in that game. And I made Barrett my like main wizard. Like Barrett was like my main spellcaster. Barrett and Aerith would like switch off as my main spellcaster. And uh, Final Fantasy VII Remake does these great things that fleshes out the aspects of Midgar to give you this overwhelmingly amazing experience from start to finish. Like it was my second best game of the year 2020. And it's really close to being my best game of 2020. It was really close to Ghost of Sushima, because it, it was hard for me to pick between the two. But it's because it gave you so much more. And like there was a little padding. There was a little like fetch questy padding stuff, but I didn't have that big of a deal with it. I understand why there are some complaints about it, but a lot of the stuff they added felt necessary and essential and expanded upon what we already loved about in this game and gave us so much more time with these amazing characters and great voice work across the board. The voice acting is great. The
0: voice acting is special. Really superb. It really is across the board. The personalities that are conveyed by these characters are done through this wonderful voice acting. And for me, this is my number one game of the year. And I can say I've played a lot of good games in 2020. While 2020 was a tough year, as far as gaming concerned, I played a lot of great games and this sits high above the rest. It pulled on the nostalgia strings, which always is powerful when you can pull on nostalgia. But this game gave me, for me it was 25 hours, but I, I ran away from all the side quests. I was not interested in saving cats or finding all the music, <laughs> all the songs. I didn't need to find the songs to cheer up the crowd. And you know what? Maybe if I, I, I wanted to go back to those things, maybe it might've gave that too much padding and I might've made it my second or third game of the year. But by keeping linear and enjoying this game for what it was, I thought this game was a home run, a grand slam, and I think this is—if they can do three or four parts just like this—you're going to retell the game better than it originally was. Even I,
1: I think so, and my point here too is, I'm so happy that it's not one game, and this is why—we're busy guys, right? We're busy people. Most of us are busy. Most of the people listening to the podcast are busy. You know, I—I I, I, as much as I would love to sink. 100 hours, 150 hours into an RPG, it's not always the easiest thing to do. I think it's so much more refreshing. Like if I was, if someone was to give me a Final Fantasy VII remake that was 100 hours or 150 hours long with all the side quests.
0: It's intimidating.
1: I, it's super intimidating. I would probably play like 60 hours of it and like go, all right, yeah, at some point I just ran through the story and, and that was it, whatever. I was tired of doing everything. I didn't have the time. I wanted to move on to something else. And I probably would have loved it. But because this is given to me in like 40 hour chunks... I did everything in Final Fantasy VII, and that's not something I typically do with a video game. I'm one of those people who is like, I do a lot of side quests. I do some of the side quests, and towards the end of the game, I do none of them and just go, all right, I'm just ready. Show me the finish line. I'm going to run straight. Dude, give me the straightaway right to the finish because I get, I get exhausted and tired and, and distracted. But with this game, because it's not that long... In the long and over the whole course of course of the story, and it's only about 40 hours long with all the side quests, maybe 50 if you're getting close. I did everything, I felt like I played and got every single dollar out of Final Fantasy 7 that I needed to. And it's because it's sh- it's quote unquote shorter than it would have been had it been the full product. And it's got me more excited for the next game in the series than had it been one giant like lump that I'd have to kind of like. Work my way through. So, Final Fantasy Seven Remake has so much great stuff like that. I did all the pull ups missions. I did all the finding the music. I saved all the cats. I beat all the things in the simulator. I got all the summons. I did all this stuff because to me, it was just like, give me another few hours of, ex- of re experiencing what it was like to be 12, and I'll take that. I'll take that any single day of the week. I think all of us would, especially in a year like 2020, which was so difficult for so many people. I think nostalgia can be toxic. Because it helps you try to find something, find a feeling that might not exist anymore uh, when it gets too too intense. But I think we all all of us who really loved Final Fantasy VII growing up and, and really played with, played it a lot. And I think sometimes it's it's helpful for us to get there from a therapeutic standpoint to be like, oh, this is just lovely. This is joy to me. And Final Fantasy VII Remake did every all of that for me, all of it. And well, let
0: me it, ask you, Mike like we just did with Final Fantasy VII, I want to throw a couple things at you and get your feelings on some of these sequences or moments or qualities yeah. of Final Fantasy VII Remake and get your quick thoughts. Let's do it. First, what'd you think of the incorporation of Chad, the kind of intern from Shinra that gives you your VR sequences and you can battle the summons. Is that his name, Chad? Chadley. Chadley.
1: Yeah, Chadley. Okay. Okay.
0: So Go Mike, what are your thoughts on the... Character of Chadley and the way incorporating these VR missions to incorporate the summons and how you unlock them.
1: Um, listen, for for all intents and purposes, Chadley is probably probably the most Tetsu Tetsu and character like ever. Like that character is like right out of Final Fantasy thirteen and Kingdom Hearts, except like he doesn't have like the weird big Disney feet. I actually liked it. I liked I liked having that type of thing where every so often I can go back to him and there would be some more battles to fight. In the simulator so I can like also also I like doing like his like materia quests to like imp, uh, improve my stuff and buying material and stuff from him I, I actually really like that stuff I, I thought it was a cool way to incorporate the side quests without them being super overbearing so yeah. I like chat I thought
0: it was a clever way of them incorporating and unlocking these things and making sense of it not just saying yeah. oh you leveled up here's a here's a summon
1: <laughs> yeah no it's like hey uh, do the simulator and I have this material for you I like that that's kind of cool
0: next what did you think of the way they created the wall market that full in sequence and that flows chapters what'd you think of that
1: as someone who spent a lot of late nights in tokyo it was awesome i think the wall market is the best segment of a video game of 2020 and it might be one of the best single segments of a video game for the last five or ten years the wall market was a blast in the original it was weird. I like weird stuff. For those of you people online who are like, "Oh, Mike likes weird stuff." Yeah, no, I do. I like very strange things. I like weird stuff. And Final Fantasy sevens wall market is is extremely weird in it the best ways weird, possible.
0: But I would even say the original is weirder. Yeah, that the sequence where you're in that room and the men just start walking towards you in the original. Yeah, it gets kind of like, "Whoa, wow!" For 1997,
1: this game is laying it on. I'll tell you, you got to do what you got to do to get that underwear. So that being said, uh, in the original Final Fantasy VII, you have to dress Cloud up um, as a woman so that he can be appealing to Don Corneo, who is the don of like the slums, so that you can get an audience with him so that you can threaten to do horrible things to him and to a certain aspect of his, uh, his body. So- in this game, they change it around a bit and they they I think I think they the changes they made were were great. I think that the changes they made totally changed it, but it was definitely less antagonistic of, of a of an event. I think it was a it was a really it was a really fun and, and fun and beautiful moment actually with how the honeybee in handles cloud kind of helping him Go on this mission so Cloud still has to dress up as as, you know, as a woman to get into into Don Corneo's mansion because they don't let men into Don Corneo's mansion because that's part of the story. So Tifa has been kidnapped unfortunately. And uh, there's actually some variance there because Cloud, Tifa, and Aerith's outfit all change based on the decisions you make in the game, which is kind of cool. There's a couple of different options there that you can kind of stumble into. I think I ended up with the, the Chun-Li style <laughs> outfit for Tifa. And I think Aerith had like some sort of red dress and Cloud is wearing like an all black dress. So in that game, they kind of make it kind of more of a less of a like, hey, Cloud is just going to these, these guys are kind of going to assault him. and But at the Honey Bee Inn Final Fantasy VII Remake, they kind of make it as like this kind of, this very open, like, expressionist moment for Cloud. And I think it's really fun. Uh, I think it's a lot of fun. And they, they do some really great stuff there. And it, the dancing game is a blast. <laughs> I love silly stuff like that. It's almost like one of those Hatsune Miku, Miku games. And I thought it was great. I love the Wall Market. The Wall I love-
0: Market sequence is wonderful. I think they did some really ingenious things. My favorite character that Final Fantasy VII remake—I don't know if they created or if they just made him larger—is one of Don's men, who ends up being an inside guy who helps them. Yeah, you get this whole backstory on him and why he is helping them and how his—I don't know if his girlfriend or his wife—is now missing, and it's—it's yeah. it's really a touching moment that surprised me, took me off guard.
1: Yeah, I think some of those extra characters they added for Final Fantasy VII Remake were wonderful, and that that guy was Leslie. 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 Yeah, I think Leslie is is great. I, I think he's a very he's a very conflicted character because he's kind of got to be like Don Corneo's doorman. He's just like, no, no, you can't get in. Oh yeah, you can get in. But when you realize that he's also trying to overthrow the Don. Uh, it's it's great and he's a wonderful character. He ends up helping you out a lot. and I think that character is awesome. Like I said, the wall market is so good and he that's like the culmination of the wall market is you getting thrown into the sewer to fight his evil pet. But I thought Leslie was great. Um, I you know, I did everything in the wall market from the squats to the pull ups to the the hand massage. Uh, you name it. I did it all. Uh, it's incredibly strange, but in the best way possible.
0: Let me ask you about one more moment. One more sequence in the game that I thought was special. And this is a little further to the end where you're breaking into the Shinra building and you're trying to get the key card. So they they change over to Tifa and they want her to do some maneuvers and jumps and break in to get the jump in to get the key card. What did you think of that whole break in sequence there?
1: I thought it was rad, man. Uh, first of all, I love with that Final Fantasy 7 allows you to kind of bounce between the characters in the remake. You know, I love that. I wanted to play as these other characters. I like them as much as I like Cloud. And I think I think Tifa's awesome. I think Tifa's is one of the best characters in the game. It's not in the series. They flesh her out completely. You know, she's a character who is really, she's really like the heart of this game right? The way they make that character. Or, you know, Aerith is kind of like the soul of Final Fantasy VII Remake and Tifa is kind of like the heart of it. And what a lovely character, just a a character with a heart of gold who will punch you in the face, which is also something I really appreciate. And doing the like infiltration, kind of climbing around, doing like, you know, like martial arts stuff. I think it's awesome. And it plays into the fact that she's the one that has to do all the pull-ups against all the tough guys in the gym and she trounces them, which is awesome because it's just it's just a really cool way to, to kind of um, yeah, I think continue it showed, that side quest.
0: You know, like the original, I think it paid homage to the original's ability to be a diverse type of game with the yeah. sequences and the lunges and the pull-ups. This sequence as well, where, where Tifa is kind of breaking in and she's doing the monkey bars and doing all that, I thought it was special. And I think you brought up the fully fleshness of Tifa and Aerith. And it's amazing how they did such a good job in this game of making you love them as two different people and also, you could be for one or the other. They but they support each other. There's no jealousy. There's no hate. Oh, no, they best really buds. support, and they're buds. And you can find good qualities about both of them to really get behind.
1: Absolutely, and uh, they're 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 looking out for each other. Like the the best is when you fall down into like the the you fall down into like the um, into like the basement, right? And and Tifa's down there, and she looks at Cloud, and she doesn't necessarily recognize that it's him right away. Uh, and then she finds out and then she, Cloud and Aerith have to like fight their way out and then they become like battle buddies. I think they're like given high fives and stuff. And it's just great. It's such a it's
0: great to watch their bond naturally grow yeah. throughout throughout the game. So, yeah, Mike, this game is special for me. You know, I'm sure it's special for you too. just reliving these amazing moments from our youth. It has, you know, this game published and developed by Square Enix the fastest selling playstation 4 exclusive surpassing spider-man which is also a special game to both of us
1: uh, very special um it's one of those things where final fantasy 7 remake definitely benefited from being final fantasy 7 obviously uh, that that that's going to sell just because of of the name but because they did such a good job with it is probably what forced they continue to sell like i bought two copies i bought it digitally and then i was like nah, i need to have the physical and then i bought like the special edition so it's one of those things where it's like my special edition is still like sealed but this is a game i will replay on the playstation 5 because i want to see it with in 4k with 60 frames a second and i want to get all that out of it because it's so good to look at now it's all i can't imagine what it's going to be like later they
0: just kind of like resident evil 2 and 3 you know the remakes final fantasy 7 heroes counting on the nostalgia yeah. the it's a known property it's known characters This became the fastest selling Final Fantasy game because, again, people know about it. It sold five million, well, shipped five million by August. It's still a recent release. But this game, like you said, I'm sure it's going to get possibly even a remaster on PS5 if they want to do it. They might get a PC release. I'm hoping the next year or two we might see this game re-released again.
1: I think it'll definitely be released on PC in 2021 because the exclusivity with uh, PlayStation ends in 2021 in March of 2021 because they had a year of exclusivity on the PlayStation 4 version. But I think we're going to get it on PC. We'll probably get it on Xbox, either Xbox One or Xbox Series X. I think they will probably upgrade it to PS5 graphics. The sequel is obviously going to be a PS5 game. I also think, and this this is a crazy idea, I think that if Nintendo releases some kind of upgraded Switch in 2021, which obviously we I have no idea whether or not that's going to happen even though rumors are all over the place if it's a 4k switch with an oled screen i think we're going to get final fantasy remake as a I mean, quote a quote-unquote launch title for this upgraded switch even though like the switch will probably just play all the old games better
0: yeah we still haven't got final fantasy uh, 13 that's the lightning scene yeah. we mm-hmm. still didn't get 15 so you're wondering if you might get some of those soon but that'd be great Maybe. you know if, you can, if this game could make it around some of those other consoles mike i want to ask your opinion this is strictly opinion-based and, and just based on what you think might happen in the future speculation, part two, part three, maybe even part four, how does this game going to handle? Cause this game was a pretty linear game. How are they yeah. going to handle now? Cause you know, you get a spaceship, you have all these different areas. Yeah. How are they going to start to handle some of these other areas? That's from the original game,
1: it's going to be, I don't know. I have, honestly, I have no idea because Midgar was like perfect for what they were trying to do i could see them doing i don't maybe they'll make it kind of a little bit more of an open world type thing and the next three games are like the last are like disc one and disc two and disc three like maybe they'll do four versions where it's like different spots it would be a shame if you didn't get to explore the bigger open world at all Uh, but they put so much work and effort into making midgar what it was it's also a shame if you're if they kind of fill you, they throw you in this kind of open, empty world. So it's, they have to be very careful. To be honest, I don't know how your characters are going to carry over. If you didn't play the first one, are you going to like, ah, you start at level 40 or level 50. It's like, or are they starting
0: your level one with all the abilities? I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I loved the upgrade system in the original game with the weapons. And well, yeah, no game, I say seven remake. Yeah. Remake. I loved how you can take clouds, sword, whichever one you're using and then go into each of the options and then really make it the way you want to play. If you want more HP, more defense, more magic, how are they going to carry that over to the sequels? And some of these areas that I'm looking forward to, you have that beach-type hotel area that you go to. Casa del Sol. That whole casino-type area, which is a
1: huge world. Gold Saucer. Oh, baby.
0: Gold Saucer. So how are you going to handle some of these massive areas?
1: I think Final Fantasy VII Remake, parts two and onward, some of them are going to have to be quite big if you're going to do it the same way. If we run it into where it's like a world map that is almost more like a menu and you're hopping between these kind of big places, you can do it that way. I think that that would be kind of uh, bittersweet. That would actually be kind of anticlimactic because part of me does want to see the bigger world. It, It does. I kind of do want to ride Chocobos around on this planet. But that that other thing. That being said, I don't know how feasible that is. Uh, it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard the for them game to do it.
0: it. Is going to have to stay semi-linear. Yeah, they want this game to get out because it took almost five years or so they say to release this game. And are we going to wait another ten to fifteen years to get the rest of this game? Now, yes, they have the engine in place. They have the models. They have a lot of.
1: It, but you have to create all new environments for all these Completely. areas. Completely. And Final Fantasy 16 is also coming out. So that's another thing too. So it's like, they're definitely not going to release it the same year Final Fantasy 16 comes out, which is probably 2021. They'll probably release that in 2022, maybe 2023 for a Final Fantasy 7 Remake Part 2. Part of me almost wishes that they kind of leave it. Yeah. Um I know. But that Part
0: of me too, I, you know, spoiler, spoilers. you finish the game, it semi has a resolution. I mean, you do fight Sephiroth. You don't, spoiler, necessarily defeat him, yeah. but they did speed that battle up a little sooner than it happens in the original game, but it worked for me. I felt like I got a full range of the characters. They did what they wanted to do. He's still out there somewhere looming, so it still feels like there's an open story. But yeah, if they left this alone and ended it, I wouldn't have a big problem with that either.
1: I wouldn't have a giant problem with it. That being said, they want that Aerith death scene in 4k and they want that money so it's it's uh
0: that scene's gonna happen
1: it's gotta happen i don't know how they're going to do it i think you're right i think they will probably keep it a little bit more linear and less open which i understand because it's a different we're working in a different world now we're working at a different time and it seems that final fantasy 16 is definitely going to be heavy 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 action like a heavy action game Whereas Final Fantasy VII Remake hopefully continues the same kind of half-action, half-turn-based that, that we saw with the uh, part hey, one correct of the me If I'm wrong,
0: Sixteen looks like it gets more to like the medieval fantasy and less on the side. Yeah,
1: Cybercon. Final Fantasy Sixteen looks like Final Fantasy Tactics in terms of like design. And I love Final Fantasy Tactics. I'm a giant fan of that series, uh, of the, that game, not the whole series. I don't like the advanced games um, as much because Final Fantasy Tactics storyline is like Game of Thrones with more absurdity. And Final Fantasy X is actually, I think, in the end, if you're like, what's your favorite Final Fantasy game, I think that's it. That being said, I'm excited for Final Fantasy 16. I'm happy that we're going to have the Coke and Pepsi of Final Fantasy VII Remake and Final Fantasy 16 kind of kind of around the same time. And I think it's that's great the... It's kind
0: of like the, you said with Resident Evil, getting the yeah, remakes, but also exactly. getting a new entry. I love yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. It, it,
1: it helps diversify things, and it helps keep things d- fresh. And uh, hey, if you can release Final Fantasy games year after year after year, it means money for Square, which means they can make more stuff. And games like Final Fantasy seven Remake and Final Fantasy sixteen the amount of money they bring in, allows Square to experiment and give you stuff like Bravely Default and Octopath Traveler. So if we didn't have these big, massive games like Final Fantasy 7 Remake, like Final Fantasy XV, like Dragon Quest XI, we might not have gotten the oddball, weird, Switch-only exclusives like Octopath Traveler. And say what you will about Octopath, I actually happen to really enjoy that game. Uh, it's got some issues, obviously, but everyone knows what the issues with the game are. And I think they're going to improve that in the sequel. We wouldn't get that if Final Fantasy XV and Dragon Quest XI didn't sell as well as they did because it allows Square to some freedom, right? And Tomb Raider, if Tomb Raider didn't sell as well as it did. Yeah, I
0: think so, these companies still have their creative juices flowing and try different stuff's important. Because if not, you are just going to get more the same. You want them to try new
1: stuff. Unfortunately, they need to make a ton of money with Final Fantasy games, which is why they will always, while I think they've gone like kind of full action at this point, because it seems like action games sell better. I don't know. I could be 100% wrong. I mean, Dragon Quest XI sold very, very well. But that being said, I think it helps them take chances and take risks in other places. And some of those risks have really paid off. Well, Mike, I want to see if you can put a giant size
0: bow... On our conversation of Final Fantasy VII and Final Fantasy VII Remake. And tidy this up, if possible.
1: Final Fantasy VII is the most important RPG to play if you're trying to get into the genre and understand what the genre is about. It It might not be the most important in terms of like it wasn't the first. But Final Fantasy VII represents a plateau for the genre at that time. Obviously, the most important RPGs, if you're going to play them, especially JRPGs, are like the original Dragon Quest and the original Final Fantasy and like Final Fantasy, like all of them, really. The, the, the first like five or six Dragon Quest and Final Fantasy games are super important to play. That being said, Final Fantasy VII is the gateway RPG. It's the gateway JRPG. It, what got us all into all, it's what got all of us into RPGs at that point in time, for the most part, um, even if we had played RPGs before that, it's kind of what kicked off the, the hysteria for us. And Final Fantasy VII Remake is a perfect—perfect perfect might not be the best word, but is a an amazing modern realization and retelling of how that original game felt and played and f- and and how it presented itself. So, if you love Final Fantasy VII, I definitely suggest playing the remake. You're taking, you're talking about one of the most important games of all of all time, and a game that is revitalizing that brand.
0: Yeah, and this uh, Final Fantasy VII Remake. It's been on sale already. You can find it most places for almost half price. Yeah,
1: it's like 30 bucks.
0: So if you don't want to play the original, which I still recommend, if you play the original with the quality of life improvements, those games are great. Absolutely. They're important to the industry, important to gaming, and their story are still very effective. The characters and story, that's why these games are so loved. They're still very, very, they work on every level.
1: Absolutely. And both are worth your time.
0: Yep. So Mike, tell me, what have you been playing?
1: I've been kind of in a weird spot. Uh, I have nothing that I'm really super focused on right now. So I was playing a little bit of the messenger because I've been playing the messenger on and off for a few years. I think that game's awesome. I think everyone should play it if you have a switch or on PC, if you especially if you like 2D action, ninja, ninja games and 2D Metroidvanias. I think it's awesome. I think how they mess with... How they transition between 8 and 16-bit graphics is really, really cool. Uh, I've been playing that. I've been playing a lot, a lot of fighting games. I've been playing Marvel vs. Capcom 3. I've been playing Street Fighter 5 and Street Fighter 4. I've been playing Marvel vs. this whole cabinet that's behind me right now with the Marvel vs. Capcom games and all that stuff. I've been playing a little bit of the newer Samurai Showdown. I've been playing a lot of fighting. I actually was playing Darkstalkers 3 the other night. So I've been playing a lot of fighting games when I haven't been playing The Messenger And then I just started replaying, not replaying, I got back into Marvel's Ultimate Alliance 3 because I felt like a nice little hack and slash, fun little game to play. And I'm a big Marvel guy, so it's fun to see that. I wish the costumes were a little easier to get and that they were more plentiful. Because I like when my superheroes have like five different costumes they can wear. But outside of that, it's just a really fun, fun little game to play. I just uh, got into the dark dimension with Doctor Strange and and I'm uh, going to go fight some evil stuff. So I switch my teams up based on what storyline we're going through. So I like to keep it uh, in theme. But that's as, what I'm playing right now. As
0: a hardcore Marvel guy, I loved that game. I, the first games and the X-Men Legends series, I've sunk hundreds of hours into and I put yeah. 200 hours into Marvel Ultimate Alliance 3, unlocking oh, no. costumes every character every detail of this game till i 100 percented it all my characters are over level 100 all of them easily and some of them maxed out so if you ever need help
1: (laughs) yeah i got a grind i think it's
0: a grind yeah it's a grind and i i just you know you can play a movie and have your switch on your lap and grind away it's a good plan and uh the messenger as well i i sunk a good you know amount of time into that game enjoyed it Uh, i've been playing Final Fantasy VII Remake, which I just recently beat this past week. That's why I said, Mike, let's talk about it. I love this game. Let's and then go. I did, uh, I put a couple hours into Hades. Oh, Hades, um, yes. You know, we finished this year. Everyone has been talking about this little gem on the Switch and the PC. And I said, let me give it a shot. And I'm about an hour, hour and a half in, I'd say. And I'm now I'm starting to understand the Way this game works, I think at first you think, Wow, it's a little difficult. What is my combat going to be? How am I going to taper my character the way I want? And now I'm starting to realize that it's not as punishing as you think because each time you come back, stronger, more equipped, better. But I don't like the randomization of it, I still don't love that the map is not a preset map and everything the enemies and things change. But I do understand the hook of this game, and now that I have the hook. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give this more time and see if it sinks in.
1: You know, I don't want to... It's hard. I don't like roguelikes. Or rogue- roguelikes, I don't. I don't like them all. I don't like procedural generation. It's just something that just never works with me. It actually frustrates me because it makes the game unfun. When we were talking about Metroid, I was talking about how everything in Metroid is 100% purposeful and 100% intended. And I love that about the design of a game like Metroid or Castlevania Symphony of the Night. Hades and games like Hades are not that way. They're just like, ah, let's let the computer figure it out and you'll just have to deal with it. Now, I understand why people like that because it makes every playthrough different. You can play that game a million times. And I think that's really, really cool. I'm just still, I think Hades is Amazing to look at. I think it's gotten an, an incredible soundtrack. I think the stories and the characters are unbelievable. The
0: voice acting too, I was impressed. Yeah, by.
1: very very good voice acting. I think my main issue with the game is just it frustrates me that when I die, I go back to the beginning. And even though I'm a little better, it's like I got to work through all those stages again. It's just like it becomes a little bit of an eye roll for me, and it and it takes me out of it. it. It's it's a hurdle that I'm not willing to waste more time in because I'm just like, oh, I'm just going to die again. I'm going to have to go back to the beginning and have to get stuff and I'm gonna have to fight through every single thing again. That being said, that's me. That's my fault as a gamer. That is not the fact that the game is not good. That is my fault as a gamer and I understand that it's my taste. So I'm trying very hard, like you, to love this game because it's one game of the year in so many publications.
0: So other loved games such as Hollow Knight. Now, Hollow Knight is not a procedurally generated game and it is not a roguelite, but it is is—it is punishing a Souls type where it is very difficult and mm-hmm. you get sent back to the beginning a lot or yeah. back to checkpoints often. And that became frustrating for me. I gave up it for a couple hours. Now that game, I think, is the benefit is you know where you're going on the map, you go to the same spots, which I liked, more like a Metroidvania type exploration. Then you have Bastion, which was made by the creators of Hades.
1: Yeah, Super Giant.
0: Yeah, and I could not get into Bashing. I tried playing it on yeah. Xbox, PC, Switch. I bought it three times, and I yeah. say I'm going to play it this time. And something about it didn't hook me. Now this game, I think I need to get past because I've never played through fully a random game like this, where each room you walk into is going to be different. But I think this is the one that might finally get me in.
1: Well, good. I hope that I hope it does the same for me because I have a lot of people whose opinions on games I respect a lot. And they love it. And I'm just like, I'm still like here, like shrug. Like, I don't know. I don't know why it's not clicking to yet. Find your weapon that you feel comfortable with. Yeah. Change
0: your dashing, change your, whether you want to be more of an archer or swordsman and play a few runs. And I'm starting to get more comfortable with the combat and the gameplay and the hook, but we'll see, maybe we'll, we'll revisit this conversation.
1: I hope so. And I hope to really like it because the game of the year for the last two years just was not my game of the year, the last two years. And like, actually, the last two years game of the year for like the one that kind of like won out among like all the publications for the last few years was actually a little bit lower on my list than where most people put them. And the problem I, I worry about is that, well, maybe gaming is finally passing me by and my, my old man brain can't handle um, what's new. Or the other side of it is that, is this too much of a group thing thing is because everyone's talking about how great this game is that, well, it must be the best. And Hades, I was just like, all right, I have to learn this game more. And like the year before that with Control, I didn't think Control was that great. I thought Control was okay. I thought it was a decent like 360 style game. That being said, uh, I think Hades is probably a better game than that. I actually do like Bastion. I did not like Transistor. So I'm hoping that that Hades can break that mold and hopefully maybe I'll learn to like it. I'm never going to like roguelikes. I'm going to tell you this right now because that's going to be the one part of Hades that I never like. But I think Hades and its roguelite mentality can actually hopefully do that and get past it. And hopefully I'll enjoy it a lot more because I think it is really a masterfully ma- masterly put together game. I think everything outside of like everything outside of the rogue, the rogue likeness of it is, is amazing.
0: Yeah. The art style, the voice acting, the gameplay, it seems great, but I agree with you. I like where a map is intentionally made for me to experience it in a certain way where certain things, are certain spots, and it's something maybe in my mind I need to get past. Like you said, maybe it's an old thinking.
1: It could be. I mean, but roguelike games have been around since the 80s, man. Rogue is an old, old game. So it's one of those things where it's just like maybe we just didn't ever resonate with this. But I'm hoping to get past that hurdle because it it really is a wonderfully put together game.
0: I agree. Well, Mike, thank you. We are running long today. Yes, we are. <laughs> this was a this was a big one to talk about. I feel like we always say we have an impactful landmark game, but this is one of the top five or 10 landmark games.
1: I think so. I think for sure. And uh, this has been a great conversation and it's been really nice reliving the summer of 1998 again. <laughs> well, Mike, thank you. Is there anything that you want to plug? Yes. So I'm in a bunch of stuff. You can find me at Twitter at the underscore Mike underscore stab. You can find me at Instagram at the same name. Uh, you can find my band, Bad Mary. We're all over the internet. You can just search out Bad Mary Band and we're on Twitter, and Instagram and Facebook and YouTube uh, I actually have started another podcast that is not like this at all called How About This, which you can find on any podcatcher that you use and also on Instagram at How About This Pod, where we talk about, we take properties and talk about how we would handle them if we, we we got to work on them. So like if we were like, we want to make a Batman movie. So that's what we talk about there. And obviously doing this Hall of Fame podcast thing, which has been some of the most fun I've had in a very long time. So thank you for the opportunity. It's great. And I can't wait to see what we get into next.
0: Thank you, Mike. Well, uh, do uh, follow Mike as well, because uh, I did get a chance to, to his first episode and it was an intellectual, clever, funny conversation. And I hope you guys follow him as well on Uh, on his new pod so uh, we will see you guys next time follow us on instagram at the hall of fame pod we're having a great time doing this and we expect you guys back next
1: week yes come back next week give us a like give us a review